Hello everybody and welcome this week to Talking Flutes with me, the old flute geezer, Jean-Paul Wright. And just about to take over from me is our host, Claire Southworth. A huge shout out to our podcast sponsors who've been here since we began this series of podcasts all nearly five years ago. That's TJ Flutes. You can follow them on Instagram at TJ Flutes at Facebook at GJ Flutes, or I think it's Trevor James Flutes actually, and at Twitter and Flutes. And so big shout out to them. Right, Claire, 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 Claire. I'll hand this the baton over to you. It's the end of summer and we're back into the new, certainly in Europe anyway, we're back into the new season of education, aren't we? And learning and I think if most of us have had a good summer break, then I'm sure now is the time to plan, isn't it? It, it is indeed. Now, I, thanks, JP, because you sent me over a, a various topics that we could talk about. And we might deviate from them, of course, as we normally do. <laughs> um, yes. but, but the first one you sent me was talking about planning and motivation of returning back after the summer holidays, which is very apt as we are. We are here now. I used to love the summer break. It used to give me time to explore new works and learn new works. I also found that summer schools were great places to hear new pieces and get motivated and inspired. I always found that learning something new was was always exciting and challenging, and I would make that a priority. And maybe for the listeners, maybe move out of your normal comfort zone and try something different. So it could be something very contemporary or very early, or you know, just just out of your normal comfort zone. And then for those, obviously. the level you're at will sort of influence what you're doing during your summer break. So if you're sort of conservatoire level, you have to plan practice still. Well, you have to plan to practice and plan not to practice, don't you? (laughs) Um, Yeah, we'll we'll cover that again. I know we've done that in a previous podcast, but there's two very distinct areas that I think we should touch on because that is so important post-holiday, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So planning practice and planning not to practice. But you don't have to be rigid. When you're a serious flute player in terms of wanting to be this to be your profession, you have to treat it like a job, you know. So you might start at nine, take a break at 11, have lunch at one and etc. But I said, you don't have to be rigid, but planning it is important so that you're not guilty. So when you work hard, your time off becomes more enjoyable. So maybe we should talk a little bit about how to stay motivated. Yeah, Um, and realistic, I think, because if I, well, in the days when I used to play the flute, and uh, I I just honk on it now, I just make a noise, and I upset my neighbours, and I scare the magpies in the garden when I get the piccolo out. Um, But in my earlier days, when I used to come back from holiday or vacation, whatever it is you like to call it, I used to come back with really big goals and dreams, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to aim towards this. But that was... On reflection, that was they were real unrealistic goals. They were goals that were sort of sort of too far down into the future, or unreal, or never in my case. And it was a, <laughs> it was a case of how then do you come back motivated with realistic goals? Because it's okay now with I'm, I'm older, I'm much older, I'm an old geezer now. But when I was when I was younger, I just thought that I could do anything, and the world would just allow me to do anything. And in hindsight, if I'd come back with smaller goals, 
that I could reach, then the motivation would would have just carried me on like a ball going down a hill. Yeah, it's it's being realistic is is uh, is difficult, isn't it? So I would say that you've got to be productive because that helps your motivation. So be productive. Make a make a clear list of maybe of what you need to practice um, and set a, a sort of a target of doing one thing at a time or one thing a day. Because remember, being productive aids your motivation. Being realistic because false expectations is fatal. Don't compare yourself to others because that can also be fatal. Listen to other people, other instrumentalists, not flute players. So listen to um, instrumentalist singers to inspire and to get sort of immersed in music and music making. Don't be put off by what you can't do because that can often hinder what you can do. And take advice in maybe consultation lessons or or, or um, your, your ordinary lessons. But there was one thing I wanted to touch on, which is then becomes quite a big topic, JP. And that is what holds all this together is creativity. <laughs> yes, that's a big word. Oh, yeah. And so it's not just to repeat the same process over and over again, because this is what I was thinking. I was trying to think what I used to do in the summer. And the one thing I didn't do was keep repeating the same things over and over again. Creativity is using your imagination to create something different, something new. So making imaginative ideas become sort of reality. So I just want us to have a, a think about that for, for a moment to make those any new ideas you have real. For musicians, it's, it's one of the most important things because music making is being creative. We don't want to be clones of someone else. We don't want to just to copy. Mm-hmm. We need to do something different, something new. We need to have our own individual voice or identity or personality so that when someone hears us play, they hear us, not a clone of someone else doesn't matter who you are, what level, what age, being creative means that you can grow and then develop. Now, to help you be creative, you don't have to just playing the flute. You can immerse yourself in other bits of art. I was doing a flute class the other day online, and I was trying to talk about colours and that there are so many variations in one colour. And I've got a picture upstairs, a painting upstairs of... A, a river scene with lots of trees. And I show them to it, it's so many different greens where it's the picture is green, but there are so many varieties of green in there. So you can be inspired by looking at art, by reading, by recordings, by go, exercising, or by making or by playing your flute. But it helps you become more positive and have more a positive mental attitude and which makes you which helps you play better. So maybe we have to all ask ourselves some questions like how can you restart your creativity? So doing those things I've just mentioned and how can you create a creative environment? So for me it used to be that I couldn't practice until the room was clean. <laughs> If I could see anything, so you know, with you know, with me with all my dogs, if there's dog, there's always dog hair. I can't bear to see the dog hair, so I have to hoover. 
And then you think, oh, I've got a dust. And then you've got to tidy up and plump the cushions up and be comfortable and make sure, you know, make sure I've had my cup of tea and that the, the temperature's right and that I'm not disturbed and I've got my music, I've got my, my pencil, my notebook, all these, all these different things to help enable this creative environment. But one question I've got for you is that you cannot force creativity, can you? And it's like writers get writer's block. You can sit down, say you're doing your, my daughter is a doctoral thesis and she has so many words, I think it's about 120,000 words. She's got another 15,000 to do, but she's, she's hit a block. And as musicians, we, we also hit something where we'll pick the flute up and we'll go through, as you've said the other uh, earlier in the podcast, we'll go through the same old routine and patterns but at the end of that, we still, there is this lack of this creative spark. How do you relight that creative spark? Would you suggest that if this is early on in this new sort of year of learning, that you just go with the flow, you go through what you know, and just trust that that pilot light will uh, come on again soon? Or do you put the flute away and start again? I mean, there are very many ways of getting creative so as mentioned listening to others so not to be deflated but to be inspired and you can take something from anyone you hear maybe something to think about in terms of trying to clarify your thoughts on what you want to do because and the more you think i used to find the more ideas popped into my head so it could be that if you have a write down a list of areas, list of maybe techniques that you want to progress and ask yourself, what are the key points? What are the common problems? What's the best approach? How can you practice it? And then take this one step further uh, by looking at the exercises you normally use and try and make some variations on it based on the original. So it's a bit like being using some improvisation, compose a new tone exercise, write a basic technique exercise, compose different things to help you with different parts of tech of your technique so you don't just get stuck when i was the only the, the tone book that we all use when i was first learning well but I, I, this is you know when i was seriously learning was moises de la sonorite yep all long notes no explanation and i used to get i started when i started i just think how boring i only ever played the first exercise <laughs> you know, just coming down in semitones until I started to understand what it was all about. And as I became more advanced, that book became more and more important. But because I'd thought about it and worked out what it was all about, and it is a book that gets you control over your sound. So you become, it gives you freedom of expression, but you need help in order to how, how to understand it. So it's finding something and thinking about it and trying to maybe expand on it and improvise on it um, and develop exercises out of it. And to be, yes, we've got to be methodical. If, you're, if, you, if you want to be a professional flute player, you've got to be methodical. But if, you, if you're just doing it for sheer pleasure, then you have to swap the exercises around. So do a little exercise and then do lots of tunes. So obviously, you know, all exercises makes you very, very dull but is keeping um, a nice variety and the variety is different according to the level you're at. 
Well, you deviated quite nicely onto sound. And when I've come... Oh, in fact, that still happens now. When I've had a little period away from practice, I come back and I pick the flute up and I just sound like an old dog, a car horn. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I don't think there's anything worse, apart from a, a young person learning to play the violin, than me picking up the flute after a period away. That I, I, I used to find that really deflating and creativity went out the window because you're thinking, oh, my word, it's kickstarting that. And it's having the faith if you're going to go back to the De La Sonorite uh, Moise or doing other tonal studies, it's having the faith that that sound will come back. And that's actually quite hard when you pick it up and you sound as bad as I do. Okay, so okay, so let me let's talk about some ideas to get you started. Then, so maybe <laughs> next time, next time, everyone, when you get your flute out, don't open or look at any sheet music. Just play, improvise. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an old dog. So improvise. Enjoy the sound, the energy. Where does your mood take you? It's easy because you can't go wrong. The no wrong. Mood. Clangers. I think it used to be attached to something else there, Jake. <laughs> Dude, I've just found a, a wooden head joint on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so remember, when you're, when you're just playing, the, you can't go wrong. There's no wrong notes. It's a journey. It's your personal journey, and you see where it takes, up, takes you. Make up a new tune, make up a new tone exercise, or play a well-known tune in different keys, or stick the radio on. Whatever you hear, try and copy it, or do an answering phrase. It's it's about changing your routine, trying something new, which kickstarts creative thoughts and enjoy the freedom of it. Because, you know, when term starts, we tend to get a little bit stuck because you're, you're, having, to produce, you're having to prepare set pieces, set exercises, set things for your lessons. And so just before that term starts, that's the time to try new things or maybe try and keep it in your routine for good. We've talked before about when I first started, my first tune was Jethro Tull, playing in, play, living in the past. And then I started formal lessons and then I never improvised again. I was just stuck on a book. You open the book and you play, you learn what the new lesson was. And I, I so regret that. You know, these days I think teachers are far more well-informed and can encourage students just, just to play. And the love of music, you know, to listen to all sorts of musics, to play all sorts of music. Don't just play classical music. Play whatever you want to play, play it. Don't be restricted. It's, it's a love of music. And as our lovely friend William Bennett was used to say, happy flute. Play happy flute. Don't play sad flute. Oh, dear old Wibbe. Yeah. I mean, a good friend of mine who's a classical pianist, when he is preparing for a recital or a concert, he tells me he goes into the National Gallery in Trafalgar Square and Mm -hmm. he listens through his iPhone into his ears whilst he's watching the art. So he's listening to the piece he's preparing but actually immersing himself in paintings. So he will decide what part of the gallery he's going to, depending on the, the narrative of the piece he's playing. And he will immerse himself in the picture whilst the music's going on. So he's, he's not, he says he's sort of doing this dual approach. He is 
the music's going in, but his focus is the visual. And he said he likes to climb in because then the creative, the creative spark is the visual spark rather than just what he's listening to. So I found that really fascinating. I love that. I think that's fantastic because you know what? That's really good for memory learning as well. Because, you know, at a certain point of your piece, you know, you remember what picture you were looking at. Yeah. So the two linked together. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I suppose I should try that. I should put up a, a picture on my screen and just sort of um, play my magpie scaring note and uh, see if it actually works. But no, he does that. And he swears by it. He says sometimes he can be in National Gallery for two hours and it could just be in the in a Van Gogh room and he could just be looking at Van mm-hmm. Gogh's or he could be looking at Monet's or he could be looking at Mondrian's just really depends on the narrative of the piece and he said it just takes him away from the the mathematical equations which is music and he's, yeah. he's, he and it, it links in quite nicely with your opening gambit which is it's all about creativity and sparking that creativity I think I've answered my own question that I just put to you haven't I Actually, which you've just answered is don't keep the same routine. If you find yourself in a sort of a block, change the routine, change what, how you do things. And that spark should just sort of come back. Yeah. I, I used to have in my teaching room, I had an abstract painting of flowers and it was so full of color, but also texture. Um, I often use that with my students to help sort of inspire. But with computers now, you could just, if you can't get to a gallery, just put a picture up on your computer mm. and use that as, as inspiration and have a different picture each day to, to improvise to. And it's so easy because you can't go wrong. And, and that's, so, an in, that's an interesting thing, Claire, because you put a picture up and when you concentrate on a picture, you see things that you don't normally see because we see things in the round, don't we? So we look at a picture and we see it as a whole. But if you start climbing into that picture, you start focusing on different areas, you can almost climb into that. And it yeah. is like the flute that when we're practicing something, we see the piece on the paper and we see it as a whole. We don't see the sort of little little bits in between, the nuances. And mm. there, there is that sort of equation between them both, isn't there? The visual and also what we're seeing and playing. Absolutely. And then when you take that, when you're talking about the detail now, you look into the detail, for example, of how a painting flows with how the music flows and the colours. So how you're going to change the sounds in, in the piece that you're playing in order to reflect the colours you're seeing in a, in a painting. It just makes you go much deeper into the technique of, of flute playing. And it's, it's inspirational. I once went to one of your classes down in Cornwall. Oh, it was a long time ago. And you were talking about colours. And you got somebody, you, you, you're saying, Let, let's talk about colour and the different shades of colour. And you got people to think of blue. And you played a note, a blue note. And then you went through the shades. And you were just manipulating the sound from sort of a, a light blue to a real heavy blue. And it was quite fascinating to find out all these little tiny nuances, the shades things that we sort of forget as instrumentalists we think the note is a note and we know diminuendo we you know we have the hairpins but we don't sort of consider the fact that there as you've started earlier about the different shades of green on that painting there are so many different shades and if we combine the visual art we can mess around can't we those different colors absolutely and i think for anyone listening you know if you if you play a note and then just say to yourself, okay, if this was a colour, 
what color is it? And, and again, it's, there's, no, there's no wrong answer here. And then see if you can change the sound to create a slightly different color. And you can think of it, but we might have talked about this before, about if you say, okay, well, I think my color is sort of yellow. Okay. And if it was a food, what is it? Well, it's maybe a, it's banana, a banana, banana. Okay. But it could be a green, it could be green and be a banana as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Or it could be a, uh, a lemon, pardon? a lemon, nice, could and, be a lemon. nice so, and sharp. <laughs> you could say my color sounds a little bit yellow, but if it was a food, it's a lime. And if it's a texture, it's cotton wool. Oh, 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 I've got you. You know what I mean? Oh, so you're bringing in other, oh, other textures to... You bring in textures, food and colour. And then you've got a starting point and then you change it. So, okay, if it's, if it's, um, it's a lime, can I make it into chocolate sauce or can I make it into custard? So you can have green custard. And is that then the texture of velvet or silk? So you, you, you start to create ideas in your head which relate to the sounds that you're making and then you change something in order to change the sound you change something in the physical makeup so it could be the shape of your mouth it could be the amount of air you blow where you blow so you have to try different things i think i'm garlic i'm with the devil <laughs> <laughs> when i pick it up i picked it up yesterday and I thought, oh goodness goodness the poor neighbors I didn't care though. I mean, I've got to that stage where I don't care anymore. But yes, garlic. What sound are you making? Ah, oh, that's probably um, freshly cooked or baked garlic. So slightly sweeter. <laughs> started off as raw garlic and it's gone slightly sweeter now. All right. So it started bright red and has become sort of mellow yellow. <laughs> mellow yellow. <laughs> I'm sure, there was a song like about that, wasn't yes. there? Yes. Called him yellow, Cats. mellow. Cat Stevens. Cat Stevens? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I went to see Coldplay yesterday. That was stunning. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not even a Coldplay. I was dragged there, but I was not even a Coldplay fan. But um, they had Jacob Collier on. Oh, my word. The guy is a genius. And Natalie Imbruglier. And the interesting thing about Coldplay, we go, we're going back to colours again, is I'm not a great fan of their music, but the whole show is based around colour. And everybody had wristbands on. And I was totally mesmerised by the fact that the audience were participating with these colours on the bands. And Mm. you married the music with the colours. And the fact that there was all this sort of love towards the music and everyone was singing, that the performance was just stunning. It was, Mm. I I went away thinking, yeah, I still don't like the music, but my word, that was a great concert. Well, we're talking about inspiration, being inspirational again, aren't we? That you do something where you get inspired and, and live music does that. So I think if you're, if you're planning a concert now, or you know you're going to be performing in, in the future, try thinking about how you can make it more of a, of a sort of experience for everybody and to do something different. It's, it's not enough now just to stand up there and play your flute. We need to do, we need to do other things to make it a, a, a sort of a, an all-round experience, something different. Yeah, and there's that there is there is that movement towards putting visuals up behind you, isn't there? And then running yeah. this sort of video, which almost again it's it's like that uh, going into a gallery bit is that you're 
the audience are hearing and then they're watching a visual. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a, a film that you've made specially for it. It could just be, as you say, ch- a change in pictures. It could be anything, really. Yeah, a bit like now, listeners. I'm looking at JP and he's got a background of a beautiful flute over at the first page of the Nielsen Concerto. And I've got a background of my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I'm in my conservatory and we're decorating. So I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want the, the mess behind. And the, the, well done on the Nielsen, by the way. It, uh, it's flipped the wrong way around this picture. And um, you can see a coffee stain just at the top right hand corner of the Nielsen, which happened many, many about 20 odd years, or 30 odd years ago. I'm that old. <laughs> well, it's very impressive. I, I told Rolf before we started that he had to clean the kitchen up because that's all you could be able to see, which he has done. So ah. all clean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying we ought to move on to a, another topic. Yeah, and that I suppose I touched on this earlier. Honest with your flute playing and the importance of finding and understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Because we often hide. We know them deep down, don't we? But we hide them. And we try and overcompensate. With me, when I was younger, it was, could I play faster than everybody else? Could I do violin pieces? Ignoring the sound, because the sound on the flute is the hardest aspect, isn't it? Um, mm. So it is, how can we be honest with our flute playing? Yeah, and, and um, honest, and, and, and you also mentioned finding and understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Um, it's one of the hardest challenges I, I expect that, that, that we all face. I always used to ask every new student what they thought their strengths and weaknesses were. And, and often the answers were the, the opposite of the ones I deduced. <laughs> yes. So, and that what their strengths, they were saying their weaknesses. It's, 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 very, it's very hard to be honest with yourself. So listening to others, it's such an important part of our learning. We talked about that for creativity, of course. And not only listening to others, but also listening to ourselves to, to, do, to record yourself so that you listen with a view to be inspired, but not squashed. So you use the, what you're hearing as for inspiration because there's always going to be people better than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we've got to use these, the, the best players to, to be inspired by. I mean, it's not always the best players who succeed, I should say, either. It's about being realistic, working hard, communicating, being humble, being engaging. Everyone's got something to offer. You've got to find the way that you can be most effective at what it is you have to offer. And comparing yourself is only good if you can take something positive and learn from it. So I I could never do that. I was, well, I found that very difficult. I would... That when I was learning, I would I would often listen, compare, and think, I'm not good enough. I've got to be better. But I forgot to take the positive things from it. So you can always take something positive and learn from the comparison. So it might be a beautiful sound you hear. It could be beautiful technique, a wonderful pianissimo or fortissimo. So you've got to let other musicians inspire you, not deflate you. And everybody has the potential to improve. It's all to do with this positive mindset. It is. And a realism is actually quite easy if you go and if you go and sit on a hill. I'm just talk, I always like to go and sit on hills. But if you sit with by yourself and you may have a bit of sort of slow ambient music on 
and you write down on a p on two on double side well two side, two columns strengths and weaknesses as you perceive them and you're on totally honest so your gut tells you actually i'm not great in the higher octaves or i'm lacking fluidity of the different forms of tonguing so you, you write all those down and then don't act on that and then the next day spend another five minutes writing down the things again if you do that three or four times a pattern will occur and take those ones that your gut is saying so that the your strengths and weaknesses may possibly change each day but there will be some consistent ones there those are the ones that your gut is saying that is your strengths and that is your weaknesses absolutely but not to be deflated that you you perceive as your as your weaknesses because you could say that no matter who is the the, the performer everybody has room to improve so it doesn't matter who it is they all have room to improve and if you look at other professions so I, you know i haven't brought in golf today yet uh, i know that's the first isn't it we've been going 32 <laughs> minutes <laughs> <laughs> so in golf and in tennis the professionals all have a whole team of people around them to help them improve so they've got trainers, psychologists, um, nutritionists, physiotherapists, and then they've got a swing coach. They've got a, maybe a putting coach, a chipping coach, a driving coach. We don't, as musicians, we don't have any of this thing. Everybody can improve. And it's a case of finding out what areas need improving and thinking about what you can do in order to move it forward. So you only have to move it forward a little teeny bit. So, for example, if let's think of a, of, a, of a point of technique, if it's just a passage you can't get your fingers around and you've heard it being played and you know the speed of it and you're nowhere near, you can't get anywhere close, then you think about a strategy to help you get there. So you take a little section of it and you slow it right down and you start to change things, change the obviously the speed, the articulation, the key, and do lots of little sections and then start adding them together and then start building up the speed. And that is developing your skills and that is progress. So you're, you're on a journey from A to B and it doesn't matter really when you arrive at B. The main, most important thing that you start on your journey and not to be deflated by the end result that you're trying to get, but to be inspired by it. Oh, how, that's how wonderful. And I also believe that every performance and every every piece of music you make is valid. Absolutely. We've all got something to say. It doesn't matter whether you're Sir James Galway or Joe Bloggs. You've all got something to say that's of value. So it's important to keep this positive mindset and be creative. That's almost a good place to finish, JP. It is. I'd just like to say I've I've got too much to say and actually none of it is valid. So um, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Let's let's draw our gathering with all our audience to a close, young lady. Please, everyone, go and have a look at our Facebook page, Talking Flutes. Message us there. If you have any comments, we always like reading your comments or on Twitter and Instagram at Flute and at Claire Flute. And um, many thanks, JP. Thank you, Claire. And what are you doing today? Going for a walk down to the beach, no doubt? Yes, actually going for a swim. Swim in the sea? Of course, I swim most days now. Gosh. It's wonderful, absolutely glorious. My target 
at the moment, what I'm trying to work on is maybe trying to swim all through the winter. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. Cold water swimming, great therapy, great for your mental health. Oh, that's a real Wim Hof thing, isn't it? I think we'll finish with that because that's... And take care, everybody, and speak to you again soon. Ciao. Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.